Do you invest in ETFs? Whether you're thinking, what in the world is an ETF? Or you're looking for the next opportunity to add to your portfolio. GlobalX has you covered. From big tech to bonds and bars of gold, GlobalX offers a wide range of exchange-traded funds. Go beyond ordinary with GlobalX ETFs. Visit globalxetfs.com.au. That's globalxetfs.com.au. Are you thinking about starting your wealth-creating journey but not sure where to put your hard-earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. Hey there, here's a quick note. This podcast contains general financial advice only. That means it's not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So don't act on the information until you've spoken with your financial advisor. You'll find our full disclosure, disclaimer, and link to our financial services guide in the show notes. Chris Bates, welcome back to the Australian Investors Podcast, mate. It's always a pleasure. It is indeed a pleasure. Good to be here. Thanks, Owen. And hi to everyone. Hello. Um, yeah, we try and do this quite regularly, actually. We catch up now. But um, a few months ago, we did the Property Investor Series on the Australian Investors Podcast. So if you want to go back and hear Chris talk about everything basically there is to know about property investing, you can do that. It's about uh, two months ago as of the date of this recording, and I'll include the link in the show notes. Uh, through that series, we talked about just getting started in property investing right through to people that have multiple properties and winding down a property portfolio before retirement. Today, mate, it's very, um, I guess, prescient time to be talking about Australian property because there's some fear in the market. Interest rates have just gone up again in August 2022. Um, you know, there are kind of like people calling for these, these more of these rate hikes throughout the rest of the year. Um, and I don't know what you're seeing, but I figured I had Pete Wardian on the show about two weeks ago. Oh, yeah. And he, he, he said he's, he watches your stuff and he um, has tracked you online a bit. And um, he was saying that, uh, you know, what, from what he's saying, he kind of brought some calm to the debate a bit, like just kind of yeah. brought a level head about quality assets and so on and so forth. Yeah. But you're at the coalface, mate. You're on the ground. So maybe we can start off with um, what are you seeing when you're talking to clients, you've got heaps of clients all around Sydney, Melbourne. What are you seeing? Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, we're sort of in August, I guess, for our listeners, just to get a bit of a reference point. Um, I mean, we had a huge growth in the market from 2019, like soon as after Labor lost the electoral, Liberal won, rates got cut, borrowing capacities got cut, and um, the market had corrected 10, 15%, talking about Sydney and Melbourne here. Um, and really, it only slowed down in that real peak fear around COVID, like when it was, is the world going to go, are we all going to die sort of thing, when that was really rife. Um, we're never going to leave our homes again. Like the really market cooled off there because sellers had to be and buyers had to be brave. But as soon as that rates got cut, the market took off again in 2020 and 2021. But, you know, we could already see late 2021, people, buyers were starting to say, hang on a sec, this is getting a bit ridiculous. Like, let's sit this out. Um Bank fixed rates were starting to go up. Like this is almost 12 months ago now, like, you know, nine months ago. Um, and then coming into the start of this year, a lot of global inflation numbers came out, right? And fixed rates really started to jump up. And so 
all our buyers started to really take a foot off the accelerator. Um, you know, and this is and this is only really coming through in data now. And you know, a lot of people was talking, oh, the market's down so so and so percent over the last three months. You know, but this is like there's a huge lag on that sort of data. And you know, the changes were actually happening six six nine months ago. I would say. Um, we are in the areas that our clients buy. So we deal in the sort of the double income, high income family space, um, uh, you know, in, in the inner rings of, you know, city, Melbourne, Brisbane, for example, and, you know, sister cities, um, a lot of, um, those markets are already recorrected, you know, you know, it's 10% for probably the good stuff. Um, but up to, you know, 20% plus for the stuff that's pretty average. Like if it's a busy road or it's dark and, um, those properties are really just selling, you know, to real uh, opportunistic buyers who are making low ball offers. And if you are forced to sell right now of those type of poor assets, you're going to have to expect a pretty big uh, low price or a pretty big drop on last year prices. Um, it's a bit of a seagull effect happening at the moment. The buyers are still there. So they, you know, some are actually pulling out. Um, because their you know, life situation is changing, they haven't got that clarity or they really want certainty. You know, there's that type of person who just really wants to know what's going to happen and so they're more likely to sit on the sidelines. Um, uh, but, you know, the buyers are still there. They're just picky. They're just saying, look, if I'm going to pay 4 5 6% interest rates, I'm not going to pay that for that type of property. I'm going to be patient. I don't need to be worried about the market going up. So what they do is they all go to the, when the good property comes on, which if you think about it, would you sell a quality asset right now? Well, no, you wouldn't unless you're forced to, right? So there's always people, you know, death, divorce, aged care homes, um, those sort of reasons, you know, they have to transact. Um, But even if you're in a good property right now, you wouldn't list your property, you know, to upgrade's a big call, you know, to go into more debt when you're not sure where rates are going to be. And see, a lot of upgraders, upgraders of good assets are just, you know, holding still. So what we're really seeing is um, buyers getting really picky, a bit of a seagull effect. You know, you throw the um, the chip to the seagulls and, and that's the one good property and everyone flies to it. Um, and so there's good competition starting to build, I think, on the good assets because there's just so few of them. Um, and, you know, the, the poorer properties have already corrected a lot. Now, what we – interest rates um, are really interesting at the moment. I guess, you know, we all knew rates were around 2% last year. Um but then when the fixed rates really took off, you were seeing fixed rates in the fives and sixes um, and, and a good variable rate sort of around that high threes at the moment. Um, but we've just seen in the last, since about the middle of July, a lot of calmness has come to interest rates. Um, I think the world's sort of realising that the central banks are taking a lot of action. Um, they're trying to really slow down economies with these big increases in rates all around the world. Um, and they're going to get hold of it. And, um, you know, you can see in the Australian three-year bond yield, that's come right back down. Um, and so what we're actually seeing even today, you know, the banks are actually starting to reduce their fixed rates. Um, so that means that, they, you know, the fear they were rates were going to go to 5 6 7% in June, that's not really there anymore. You know, a lot of the banks and a lot of even the big banks are forecasting that rates are going to increase, you know, for the rest of 2022. Um but then, you know, depending on how the economy is going, depending on inflation gets under control, we're actually potentially looking for rate cuts next year, which is a big turnaround than the fear just a few months ago. See, that's um, that's something that I'm thinking about a lot, just from the other side of the fence. Like if I look at uh, fixed income markets, right, obviously we're looking forward. And I, there's been a massive shift in consumer sentiment across all of the readings. And like you said, they're lagging. But um, basically everywhere I look, people – 
are more con- concerned or cautious. Um, you know, mortgages going up $500, $600 a month, repayments, it's a meaningful amount of money to a lot of Aussies. And if I look at it from the fixed income side, you know, from the stock market side, um, I guess the, the question that we're getting now is, uh, you know, bonds have been terrible performers for my portfolios, uh, things like that. But now, uh, I think if you look further afield, there will come a time when rates reverse. So I yeah. don't know when that will be, but it will happen. Um, how about then, so like my personal experience um, with your team recently is trying to refinance our, our home. And I was looking in the data before I jumped on the, the chat just a minute ago. And it looks like in major capital cities that like at Melbourne and Sydney, I'm speaking of, prices are only down 3% across, you know, median house prices. Um, and in our case, you know, our sample size of one being in Melbourne, <laughs> it would seem that, um, you know, our property is still well up of where it was two years ago. So I guess, what are you seeing in the mix there and around people refinancing, investors, homeowners, are they still getting, you know, are they still seeing that capital increase from when they purchased? Um, it is a real mixed bag. You know, I think the the top end, you know, the upper quintile um, is the ones that rose the most, you know. Like you can see that in, mm-hmm. you know, places in Brisbane. We had clients with properties doubled in two or three years, you know. Um, you know, the, all the inner rings, sort of old Queenslanders, et cetera. And so you've got to expect, you know, the FOMO that drove those markets under 2% interest rates has to revert, you know, some of that growth has to come off if rates go to four and five, et cetera. But some of the markets haven't risen as much. And so they're not, um, and I don't think they've fallen as, as much, anywhere near as much as sort of the upper quintile. Um, and, you know, vowels are always a bit of an interesting thing. We, we get a real mixed bow with vowels. Sometimes the valuer wakes up and it's having a bad day and um, is putting a really conservative vowel on. We got one of those last week. The client was, you know, super disappointed and, it's just, you know, they bring in their own opinions a little bit rather than looking at the the facts of what's sold in the last three to six months. And so, yeah, it is a real mixed bag. I think you just got to be really careful what you own right now because you have to think if interest rates do stay high, you know, and, you know, they don't go up and then they don't come back down, is your property still a good bet under 5 6% interest rates? You know, is there still a... You know, do people still really want that type of property? Um, and, and that's the risk right now is that you, yeah, you get a better deal than 2021, but if rates do continue to go up and they stay high, do you see that there's further price falls? Um, and some parts of the markets would be susceptible to, if rates stay high um, for a long period, you're going to, when you talk about those mortgage repayments going up, um, if they go up for a year high, people probably find a way through. But if they stay high for four or five years, um, you are going to see debt stress, particularly in, you know, high density, you know, first home um, and house and land packages in fringes. Um, and even the, the middle and outer suburbs of capital cities where they paid a lot of money in 2020, 2021. Um, yeah. And they're starting to, you know, pay bigger mortgages as well that, um, and maybe potential negative equity, et cetera. So it's really a question of whether rates do stay high and if they come back down. Um, but, you know, so the last, two months you can start to see the market doesn't believe that's going to happen yeah that's interesting so so what you're saying so what what's so before you said you know the the banks don't seem to be um like there was a cut to a fixed interest um offer is it just the banks that are giving you that signal or is it more so from investors as well like how are you seeing that how are you getting i guess that insight Oh, so we, we just literally, uh, the big yellow bank today came out with a four-year fixed rate at 4.99. Um, 
which and and all the other fixed rates are in their fives and, and you know even up to six. Um, and so for them to come and offer this, you know, fixed rate, um, it's a bit of a game changer to be honest. And Macquarie came out last week actually and off and changed their fixed rates down. So it's just that the banks are more certain around their longer term funding. They've got more options. You know, the yields have come down on bonds, etc. So then, um, yeah, and and that's even in the AFR this week. You know, the, there was an article that's saying you know the market thought the RBA would go up into the fours. Um, but now that and no one in the you know all the economists in the country didn't think that would happen. They were all saying two to three, uh, and now the market's saying you know the RBA is probably going to get closer to three. Um, so I think there's just that sort of that shift. I think on a ground we uh, in May and June talking to clients, everyone was very very nervous. Right? It was just the speed of that second um, rate increase. I think that really scared. And then the back to back 50-50 basis points. Um, who didn't really understand how far is this going to go? I wasn't expecting. I think it just caught everyone off guard. Um, and everyone's a little bit more depressed in winter anyway and negative. So I think that compounded it. Um, and I just think, but that really shifted, I think, in July. I think a lot of our pre-approvals said, look, yeah, we still want to buy. We're not too, we, we've done it, redone our numbers on 5% interest rates. We're still comfortable with that, but we're going to be really picky and patient. Um, but then in the last two or three weeks, we've just seen our inquiry start to pick up. Um, and people are a little bit more like the opportunistic. If you, there's like two types of upgraders. There's upgraders who do it for lifestyle benefit, um, even though they don't need to. They're doing it for a better life and a better property. Um, but they've got enough space and room and they're in an area that they are happy in. Uh, but then you've got the upgraders who are people who are living in apartments, like a two-bed apartment with, you know, one or two kids, right? Um, or they're in a two-bed house that's too expensive to renovate or doesn't really make sense, you know? Those people who have to upgrade in the next sort of one to sort of five years, they're the ones who are starting to come to us and saying, well, you know what? Now is actually that trade-off of upgrading makes a lot of sense. Um, and another big thing in Sydney is obviously the stamp duty changes that may or may not happen, you know, in the next, you know, six to 12 months um, where the state government's going to waive stamp duty for first-home buyers up to $1.5 million, um, which is a big game changer if you haven't bought um, because it potentially reduces your deposit by, you know, a third of how much you really need to buy something. So, yeah, there's, there's lots going on. Um, just on that for first-home buyers, uh, I've heard in the past when not just in podcasts with me but I've listened to some of the other podcasts that you've done, and you've talked about how the first home buyer incentives can sometimes create kind of this artificial ceiling that then prices push up to anyway. So it just it doesn't really solve the affordability issue. Uh, like by going to 1.5 million, is that just a game changer? Or oh, it, it absolutely does not solve housing affordability. Housing affordability and you know solving is a huge issue, and there's so many elements. And the last thing you want is de- demand. Um, increasing policies, right? Which is what this is. This isn't creating more supply. This is just bringing forward people who are saving for a deposit and saying, you don't have to save as much so you can buy today. Um, It's like a credit card for the property market, to be honest. And, you know, the reality is though, this is what, you know, this is how the market works. The system is, is, is to support prices. Um, And so rather than getting angry with the system, it's kind of like, well, this is actually how it's going to change things. What do I do next? Um, But if you think about it, like you've got to, um, let's say a, a couple and they're on a couple hundred grand a year combined um, and they wanted to buy a house at, I don't know, 1.2 million, right? Uh, or a million dollars, it's round numbers. Um, you know, in the, you know, now you're gonna, the minimum deposit they'll need is a 10% deposit 
which is 100, uh, plus 5% for stamp duty, which is, it's almost that. So about 150,000 they would need as a deposit. Post legislation or post when it, um, you know, January next year, they'll need 100,000, maybe 105. So if you're, if they're at eight, if you're a young couple now and you're at 80,000, to get to 150, it feels like a long, long way away. But when you go and speak to a broker and they say, well, you only need 105, well, we can get there. That's three or four months of good saving. Maybe we could ask the parents, my brother, and, and it just brings, and, and there'll be a lot of media around it um, and a lot of hype that this is a game changer for first-home buyers. And I think just that instantly, you'll have more people going to open homes, more people getting pre-approved. Um, and the, the stuff that's pretty poor, the pretty average properties, you know, under 1.5, there's still going to be a supply imbalance. You know, high-density apartments in areas where families don't want to live, that's not going to all of a sudden just increase, you know, uh, suck up all that supply. But in areas where there's already low supply, like, you know, older apartments in more premium suburbs around Sydney, you know, how, um, you know houses in, say, uh, Central Coast, Wollongong that are under 1.5, I think you'll find that very quickly the demand outweighs the supply and that 5% that you saved on stamp duty, you end up paying more in the house price. But the benefit is you get to buy that, you know, you still get to purchase that. So you get the future growth, but you do have to pay more for it um, at the start. Um, okay, so switch gears now to go to the other end of the spectrum. Um, with, with, like we could say, like these more expensive homes coming off, uh, coming off the boil, so to speak. Yep. Are you surprised about that? Oh, not at all. It, it was it, it really they were getting priced um, because the more expensive a home is usually attached to a lifestyle benefit, right? Um, and you know, people were like, "Wow, if rates are so low. I'm going to upgrade. I'm gonna." I'm going to go and buy that additional lifestyle benefit because I can afford it at low rates. Plus, you, you know, and it was getting a bit silly in 2021. Um, I remember just some, some prices and I just think far out. That is like, like 50, 60% above what that would have sold for six months ago. Like just the FOMO of craziness for people were going to. Um, and so I think that's what happened. The market just got ahead of itself. Um, so, yeah, I absolutely doesn't surprise me that it's um, what you're finding is though that in this market the good stuff people are now holding on to because it's property is always based on you know the um, the marginal buyer theory right so if everyone says oh the property would market wouldn't be worth 10 trillion dollars if everyone sold today well it's never going to happen because everyone needs somewhere to live right whereas shares people can sell um, but I mean so pro property is really only based on how many properties on the market in the area that you want to buy and is there enough demand to make sure that, um, you know, that, that skips the sales to more demand than supply? Um, and so what you're finding here now is that good property, people who are in them, as long as they can afford the mortgage, which a lot of the people can, um, the reason they've, they've taken on those bigger mortgages is because they're confident around their future income, um, which isn't getting factored into the debate a lot. A lot of people say, oh, they, expenses are going up. Yeah, but then you're not seeing the wage increases. Um, Yet maybe as a whole market or a whole country level, we're not getting major wage increases. But that doesn't factor in, you know, the 30-year-old that just got a big bump because they've taken a promotion or they've just got headhunted to another job um, that's giving a huge – because there's a talent shortage in their industry. Um, and that's what we're seeing. We're seeing some pretty decent wax in terms of people's incomes going up over the last few years. Mm. Um I was looking at the numbers, just looking at prop track numbers before the show, yep. and I saw that um, annually, annually, so just 12 months, uh, unit prices in Sydney were negative, um, which, again, I can't say that I'm surprised about, but 
and we've we've also seen. I, I, the, I guess the thing that I was maybe more surprised about was, even though we are seeing a bit of a kind of a cooling off, regional hubs and regional uh, cities, like you said, I think you call them sister cities, um, along the eastern seaboard in particular, are still really strong. And I think it's important not to forget that they've gone up in some places 50%, you know, since pre-COVID. Yeah, so we saw the flight to regions happen. Um, I remember all the conversations sort of pre-2017 when there was that. Uh, the height of that Sydney boom. It was, it was a pretty, you know, it, rates were a lot higher. People were thinking, God, I've got to go into this debt to get security for my family long-term. And we'd have the conversation with clients, like, why don't you look at the Wollongong, north of Wollongong? Amazing lifestyle. Why don't you look at these parts of the central coast? Pretty good place to live. Um, and no one, no one did it, to be honest. Very few because, you know, they were stuck to the nine to five in the city, couldn't justify the commute. But as soon as the COVID situation happened, bang, it was like a rocket. And um, everyone talked about a tree change or a sea change. But I feel like it was like a, it's a social proof thing, right? So once they saw their friends doing it, people like them did it, maybe we should do it too. And we're not going to be the, the, the crazy ones. Um, and so that happened in 2020. In 2021, it still continued. People got had to make compromise in 2021 because the, the best areas of those locations really got out of reach. So in the central code, like the Avoca or the Thoreau in north of Wollongong or the best parts of Geelong or Mornington. And so people are like, well, if I have to move down there and I don't get to live in the best suburbs, do I still want to do it? Um, secondly, I think the return to work policy started to, you know, nothing was really in um, in their contracts. Nothing was really, they were worried if they swapped jobs. And I think like people really retreated back to the inner ring and the, the capital cities and the apartments. I mean, when you say about their Sydney units being down, like a lot of places in Sydney, the units never even went up. Um, if you look at high density places around Waterloo, Rosebury, um, Epping, St. Leonard's, um, Parramatta, um, the Sydney market boomed. The people who own those properties didn't get a boom, right? They Even under 2% interest rates, they didn't go up. So that's telling you something, right? So if they didn't do well under 2% interest rate, how are they going to do well under 4% interest rates? Um, so I'd say that's a big part of it. Um, but I do think, you know, if you looked at some of the more high, uh, lower, lower density, more premium suburbs in the unit markets, you know, plates on the lower northern beaches, you know, the Mothmans, the Cremorns, Neutral Bay, Rose Bay, um, Melbourne's, this is Sydney, Melbourne's a different story with the units, but uh, I think you'll find that the, the growth and their holding value um, and the, but over 12 months, they'd probably definitely still be up. So, um, but yeah, and what we used to think while I was going to finish that story about the regions is, so wave one, 2020, wave two, probably 2021. And I was worried where we were going to see another wave to the regions. I thought, I wonder if it's going to really run out. And just in the, in the last um, probably three, three to four months, we've seen it like a bit of a bell curve. So we see the clients that have got um, real, depending on their industry and their profession and their, their um, I guess, how far up the corporate ladder they are as well. Um, you know, in terms of their age, they're getting a bit more certainty. You know, work's basically saying, look, one day in the office, a week, one day, a fortnight, two days a week. It's And they know if they looked out in other jobs, they're also offering the same thing. So they're saying, look, even if I want to switch jobs, that's okay. I'm not going to shoot myself in the foot. And so, But then I'm seeing the bell curve the other side where people thought they were going to get three, four days at home and they're getting two and they're getting one and they're getting dragged in on their day off. Um, and they're not getting any, and especially, you know, more middle and upper management, they're having to drive teams and get into the office more. 
So they're, they're not going to obviously go to the regions. They're looking at the inner ring houses again, the bigger houses in the middle ring. Um, and then the people who are getting lots of hybrid, they're looking more at the regions. Um, it's crazy. Even in the last week, we've had, you know, four people looking up in the Blue Mountains, which, right. you know, it's just, you know, we, we get them occasionally, but it, that shows the flight. Like, that's a long way from the city. Um, and, you know, it shows the confidence in them in their, their work. Yeah, because that's I must admit that's one thing that I worried about. Um, the regional uh, hubs, particularly in Melbourne and Victoria, I should say, um, I thought we would see them fly back to the city, but well, for the most part, maybe that's not happening. Um, and it's probably good, you know. A lot of workplaces have been forced to change and forced to adapt and be kind of what we would say anti-fragile, right? Um, yeah. One of the things that uh, is probably a bit interesting is kind of any changes to like test stress testing you know typically what is it when a mortgage broker like yourself runs yeah. uh, by a bank they they had a buffer of two percent uh, maybe more is that changing yeah so what happened is in 2021 um you know the they're worried that the market was which is rightly the property markets were going nuts right and they go yeah. they've got to slow this down so apra came in with a pretty meaningless adjustment to the assessment rate and said look if we're lending you money at um, you know, two to three percent. We need to make sure you can afford it if it's two and a half percent above that. And they just said, "Look, we're going to change it to a three percent buffer, not a two and a half percent buffer. That's a five percent reduction in borrowing capacity." I was very vocal at the time. I said, "Look, that's just a waste of time. Like, that's not going to slow the market down. What's going to slow it down is higher rates." And absolutely, as soon as higher rates came, that's what slowed it down. Um, so the APRA have at the moment got a three percent buffer. You got to think about this. You know, if there's if this sort of continues on, there's going to be things that it's try, they try to do to support prices. You know, they don't really want to see a housing price crash. Um, yeah, that's great for first-home buyers and people wanting to get in, but it's not great for the other people who own property who, who spend and drive the economy, right, um, and the wealth effect. So they'll do things to protect the market. And so that's one thing they may do is they may reduce that, APRA may reduce that buffer if there's any type of this goes on for a bit together with, you know, first-home buyer incentives and a few other things. The big thing that's happening right now is that, yeah, interest rates are going up. Um, and so that's doing that, that's changing how much pe debt people want to go into, right? So if interest rates are at 2% and likely to stay there, you're more gutsy to go for more debt. But when rates are going to be 4 or 5%, you're like, oh, I'm, I'm not going to go into it. So you're reducing your budget. So buyers are doing that already. But one in four, one in five buyers were going to their absolute max in 2020, 2021. So they were, you know, let's say 25% of buyers, right? Those buyers, if they still want to go to their max, they can't go anywhere near as much in 2022. Because as interest rates go up, borrowing capacities fall. It's a real headwind for the property market. Um, a, they get, when interest rates go up, people want to borrow less. But B, you can borrow less. So credit growth is actually less. And so the buyers that right now who want to stretch to their max, they can probably borrow, I would say, 20% less than what they could have borrowed in 2021. And so that's really slowing down. And that's when we talk about the top end. A lot of those people will use all their borrowing capacity um, because they've got a huge amount of equity and they've got you know strong trajectory of incomes and um, maybe they've got other buffers and things like that. So, um, yeah, I do think that's sort of, something that's played out but i think it's already played out already a lot of people think you know that something doesn't have to happen for it to impact that you know and then so the just the fear around rates going up meant all our borrowers reduced how much they wanted to spend um so they didn't really want to spend their full capacity anyway um and so i think that's already playing out
Um, Chris, <laughs> it's a bit of a, a tense question for a lot of people. Do you think, do borrowers uh, pay attention to RBA rate statements and in particular no. <laughs> forecasts? Um, look, I mean, a lot of people do want to know what their rates are, right? And then, and But I do think it's really a timing thing. People do that when they're buying um, and they're very conscious of it. And But we just know by the mortgage market that after they're bought or after they've refinanced is they forget about it. Um, because if they did really care, what they would do is refinance their home loan. Because the best way to, in, to soften the impact of a rate rise is to go and get yourself a better deal in the marketplace. And the bank's profits have basically been supported by something called the loyalty tax, which has gone out of control in the last 12 months. So the way that it works is when you get a home loan, you, get a, you negotiate a discount off that home loan rate. And, you, and for the only way to get that a better rate is to increase your discount. Now, a bank's never going to call you up and say, hang on a sec, Chris or, or Owen, I can give you a 1.5% discount. You're only on 1.2. So unless you call them and go to retention teams and or refinance to another bank, you won't get yourself a better deal. And what they do is they decrease, they increase that discount for new customers. And, you know, when I started in broking, you know, eight, nine years ago, a good discount used to be 1% to 1.2%. Now good discounts like well over 2%, even up to 2.5%. It's crazy. So new customers are getting huge discounts on their mortgages. Existing customers are getting very small discounts. Um, and so that just shows, Owen, that not many people really care so much about their rates. Um, it's because they're not taking action. And in the last couple of years, refinances has gone through the roof. Um, but longer term, um, yeah, people are pretty lazy on their mortgages. And that, that just plays into the bank's profits. So if your mortgage is even six to 12 months old, just make sure you're on a good rate. And a good way to think about what's a good rate is, like an lovely easy things you can put in your head, right? So you can always don't have to go type into an Excel spreadsheet. Look at what the RBA rate is, 1.85%. Just add 2% on top of it. That's roughly the bank margin. So if the RBA goes up to 2.35 or the RBA goes to 2.5, add 2% on top of that. And that's ideally what you want to be getting your rate to. If it's an investment property, add 2.5%. Um, and that will give you a really good understanding of, roughly what a good rate is. Okay. That's great. Um, how about uh, Phil Lowe's uh, statement about not increasing interest rates? Look, he it was running, he was trying to use every tool in his armory, right, to say that we didn't, we did everything we could to support the economy. He couldn't cut rates any lower. He was doing money printing and giving banks money at 0.1%, hundreds of billions of dollars. The only thing you could also do is strong, offer really strong forward guidance for people to say, well, you, you didn't actually do what you could. So he basically did everything he could and he stuck to that case a bit too long. I think that was his issue. Um, I think what he did was probably, um, you know, and when he did do it was probably the right thing to do. Um, and, but what it did actually do is it created a um, asset price inflation, right? And it probably sent the market into a a real spin, but I mean, it was also trying to give households confidence to spend their money. Um, so I just think it really backfired on because he probably should have changed his tune earlier. Um, rather than this, we are under sort of uh, overstimulated the economy um, for too long. And then we have to, we've got, oh, we've done it wrong. Now we have to massively increase rates and freak everyone out. They potentially should have slowly increased rates last year, but this isn't just an Australian issue. 
lots of central banks around the world got it wrong. Um, mm. And uh, yeah, so it's, I'll give him a free kick there. It just, I don't think he did the wrong thing. I just think everyone got shocked with the, the, the global, you know, inflation issues, how people have been wanting inflation for years, you know, rates on the UK have been zero since 2008. They haven't been. And, you know, part of that is because they haven't been able to get inflation going. Um, and so, yeah. Well, here it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which might, it, it might be because of COVID. It might be because of the war. It might be because of the fuel. It might be because they've overstimulated it. It might be because of, you know, there's, so there's lots of reasons, but it, it hasn't just all of a sudden happened. It's been, you know, a long time mm. coming. Um, okay. Well, I figure what we might do is we might end the chat with her just to kind of maybe to pick your brains on some advice for whether you're a first-time buyer, whether you're an upgrader or an investor. Those are kind of the, the three big camps that we covered off in the property investor series. Um, I, maybe I'll just cherry pick one first before you get to uh, yeah. those three. Is Should people consider fixed rates at the moment or should they not? Well, this... Um change from CBA today and Macquarie last week is making it more likely to consider. I would say no um, at the moment, but that's not to say I would say no in a few months' time. Um, you yeah. know, especially if you are taking on a bigger debt and you want certainty and, um, you know, bad news. is starting. But at the moment, I feel like the news cycle is starting to flip like the other way with rates. You can see that with, you know, yields, et cetera. Um, so, yeah, that's probably the answer to the question. Not right now, but that's not, not never. Generally yep. speaking, you're going to win on the variable rate over the fixed rate, especially if you negotiate every year and you switch banks and you stay on top of it. Um, that's just historically. But, I mean, we fix 80 90% of our clients and 80 90% of their loans for the last two or three years in 2020 and 2021. Um, yep. And they're all sitting pretty. Um, so, mm. yeah. Yeah, for a little while longer. Um, yeah. Okay, okay, <laughs> mate. So let's, let's cover off these three bases. Then we've got first-time buyers, upgraders, investors, what would you be saying to them if they were sitting in front of you right now? So all of it, I'd be really careful reading mainstream media, you know, very, very well respected. I was actually going to ask you about that because there's yeah. some crap out there, honestly. It really, like when you were talking about um, evaluation of your property, that's exactly right. So you're talking, what's happening to your property in your suburb, in your street, and those type of properties in that suburb? Are, are, are open homes busy? Is there many yeah. of them on the market? Like yeah. you, you need low, because you don't buy the Australian property market. You can't go and buy the index and say, I actually don't want my, ho my house price growth. I want the Australian property market. You get what you buy, right? And so what you really need to do is get on the ground. And if you really want to know what's happening, get out to some open homes, go to some auctions, see what's happening. And that could be completely different to what uh, the mainstream media is trying to do. I mean, they're trying to peddle fear or peddle likes or peddle followers or um, et cetera. Um, and I do feel like some of them at the moment are just sort of taking advantage of it. Um, and they're losing a bit of credibility um, because they're very well-respected commentators and they've done very well in the past. But what they're doing now is not providing any context. They're focusing on the negative news story and they're trying to get lots of attention um, by perpetuating, because there's a lot of people who want to see the Australian property market crash for maybe they want to buy, maybe they didn't buy and they wish they did buy or, um, or maybe they just get frustrated with the unproductivity of housing. There's lots of reasons why, you know, there's issues with the Australian property system, which, which we're very aware of. But then they jump on this negative news cycle and then they start to perpetuate it and these things like that. So be very careful right now listening to things. Get on the ground, look at your properties. And it could actually be worse than what they're saying. 
Like if you've got a, a high density uni on a on a busy road and there's 700 on the market, uh, things are pretty dire. It probably lines up. But you might find your house in your suburb, there's one or two on the market. And you know what? It's actually still quite busy and they're still transacting and they're still holding prices. Um, so that's the first thing. Um, I mean, yeah, does that answer your question? Yeah, it does because it kind of covers all bases. Um, I think in like the su- five suburbs around me, there's two houses to rent. Yeah. Um, and there's less than a handful of properties on the market in the suburb and they would be pretty low quality anyway. So, yeah, yeah I mean, that just was a reality check for me. Uh, we're not in a fringe suburb. We're not in any of that sort of stuff, as you know. So um, we're pretty lucky we bought well and I think that was the key. Um, and we bought at a good time. You know, we bought two years ago and, yeah, I mean, we were very lucky with the timing. That's luck. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, what about investors? Like, are you, have, you, have you seen yeah. any property investors that's concerning? So, we, um, investors really were in the market a lot in the 2012 to 2017 boom. That's what that boom was mainly driven by is um, mm. investors being able to borrow a ridiculous amount of money, way more than they can borrow in 2022, you know, 10, 12 times their income. They can get interest only and it, the, the credit policy there is, is, you know, light and day for what it is today. So they really took a step out of the market. There was all the issues with negative gearing and interest-only loans. But we did start to see investors are, are funny, you know. They don't want to invest when they should be investing. Same in stock markets. Uh, they only want to invest when they realize they should have invested earlier. So they come to the party late, right? Um, and so they were coming to the, the party in tw- late 2021. Maybe I should buy an investment property, I sh- you know, because they oh, I should have bought one last year. Um, so investors are coming in. We started to see at the start of this year as well, like where um, – you know, home buyers started to drop off. Investors started thinking, oh, maybe it's a bit more opportunistic. Maybe I should buy. So they were coming to the market. The problem with investors right now is borrowing capacities are absolutely coming down dramatically and they're going to come down harder for investors than they do for home buyers. Uh, and that's the issue right now is that even if you do want to go and buy an investment property, you've got to be in a really strong position on an income point of view to go and buy uh, enough money. You can always go on down the quantity strategy investments and we all know about the spruikers who buy a property every month, etc. What they're peddling is buying cheap stuff um, that's cheap for a reason and buy lots of it so we can get paid multiple times. Um, and that stuff we go nowhere near as a business. So those type of investors are out there, but if I was anyone listening to this, I wouldn't be going near that stuff. So the issue investors have got now is to actually go and buy a quality asset. They're, a lot of them ha- um, haven't got the income to do it. They've got equity, but their borrowing capacities have really reduced. Um, and so, you know, chatting one tomorrow, you know, probably thought he could borrow close to a meal. It's like 500. So it's like, well, you know, there's no point buying something at 500. You know, let's just keep that capacity, um, increase our incomes. And so that's for investors at the moment. But if you are being an investor, um, you want to play um, on the long-term fundamentals. And this is the, what we've seen really recently in the last two or three months is in a hot market, it's really hard to buy the good stuff. You know, the best streets, the renovated properties, the stuff that really everyone wants because you've got a big buyer pool and the ones who've got the most money flock to the best properties, right? And you've got to basically be the one with the most money or get lucky somehow in a hot market to get a good asset. So what ends up happening in hot markets, unless you want to pay well over the market price, like 10, 15% above what everyone else is thinking, that's because that's how high prices get made. Um, you can't get quality. You make compromises in hot markets. You make compromises on the road, the aspect, because it's rather than being out of the market, it's better to be in it, right? Mm. 
And unfortunately, in hot markets, you just don't want to make too many compromises because when the market turns, you get smashed. Um, so we try to always stop people is like make compromise on the right things, not the wrong things, right? Um, so, so that's unfortunately one of the dangers. In the hot markets, buying is really hard to buy the good stuff. You've got to buy something in the middle. In the down markets, what you're actually finding is it's actually really hard to find the good stuff, but there's less competition. And if you do hear about it first um, and you do get access to it first and, you, and you're, you're fast and you make a solid offer, it's more likely you're going to be actually pull it off because the person with a quality asset is hearing all the negative news. They're seeing auction clearance rates. And then they get the agent in the year who's worried about listings, who just wants a sale. And if you're just if you're just act fast and they get a good offer on the table, that doesn't you know, not a big offer, but just a solid offer. It's really gutsy for a vendor right now to say no to that offer. Because no one wants to be that person in two months' time and says, I could have sold, I would have, I got a um mm. I got I turned down a million, I had to sell it for nine hundred. And so what we're seeing at the moment is the clients who are ready, who are picky and patient. And they get some type of advantage like access. They're hearing about something. If they make a solid offer, they can they can pull it off. So I would just say right now, if you are an investor, upgrader, or first-time buyer, it's about being in the market, not sitting on the sidelines, being super patient and picky. Um, and then when a quality asset comes on, don't sit back and try to let – because competition can build. So if you do and, – and now's the time, if ever, to use a buyer's agent. It's You think now's right. the easy time to buy. But what you want to use is a buyer's agent now to get you that first access and to be able to put an offer together first and then to actually uh, to actually get that offer to the vendor and try to get that exchange before anyone even knows about it. Um, and so that would be my advice at the moment. Is that because um, a lot of properties might go off market if they can, if the yeah, agents push it through off market? Yeah, off market is, is sort of one where no one really ever wants to list it on the market. It could be divorce, something private. Um, they might not want to do open homes and um, they might want a lot of money for it. There's lots yeah. of reasons why off markets on the, on there, but something called pre-market. So I, I want to sell it, but I don't, you know, but I, I don't mind if we sell it fast. And so, you know, or if I can get a certain price, I'll sell it. And so um, and at the moment, sometimes vendors are testing the market. They're like, well, I'll sell it. So I'll do this pre-market off market thing. Um, but a, pre, a typical pre-market is like, yeah, we've got the photos booked on Thursday. Stylists are coming next week, but they haven't been here. Maybe the house isn't perfectly ready. Um, but the agent said to the vendor, look, if I can get you a, you know, a million bucks, um, would you consider that? I've got, I'll go to a couple of people in my contacts, your hot buyer list, and on the top of a hot buyer list is buyer's agents. So you'd have you know, a pre-approved buyer that's been bidding on other things and the agents know everything about them. Yeah, they're hot, right? But then the buyer's agent that's got a pre-approved client, they know that mm. that buyer's even hotter um, because they're not going to stuff them around. So buyer's agents will be the ones who get the access first, the, the special treatment. And if you've got two offers together, a buyer and a buyer's agent's offer, they're going to put more weighting on the buyer's agent because they know there's more certainty around that offer. The buyer's agent isn't going to stuff them around. Um, mm. And so that's the real benefit at the moment is that you're more likely to get access and preference. In a hot market, though, the good property comes um, to the agent. The vendor says, just go to auction. I don't care about the yeah. offers. I don't care yeah, it doesn't matter. And, and so then that's why buyers are sometimes in hot markets on good assets. It's The value can be limited. It can definitely still worth engaging, but it's not as strong as I say right now. Mm. Um, for those people that have never bought a property before, be sure to check out um, 
our property course on RASC education. It's got Chris and uh, Amy Lenardi on it. It's fantastic. Uh, mate, I think that's, um, I think that just about covers everything at the moment. I think you've given us like a good grounding on what's kind of going on. Um, maybe one final, just quick one. You said before that you know, kind of stay away from the mainstream press a bit. If you, when you look at property data, is it, where are you looking, where are you getting your info from? Like what are the things that you look at or who do you follow um, to kind of get that, that perspective, I guess? Look, I mean, one of the benefits of we do our podcast is if I've got a question about something, I want to, I, I go and find someone, right? And I'll learn about them, et cetera. So, you know, I would say look at some of the guests on there. That would probably be a good option. Go through our guests and sort of see that. Um, I mean, I do use a real mix of stuff, to be honest. I, I want to know how cities are evolving. I return to work. I, 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 anything around that, I love reading about it. What is happening, you know? What's happening with... Um, and so it's, it's a real mix. What's happening with regions? What's happening with construction? Um, you know, I follow all developments in the city and want to know what's happening with, um, you know, commercial, et cetera. So it is a real mix. Pete Warden's obviously amazing. You know, I know you mentioned him before. It's like we're fans of each other. But, um, yeah, I do think he's a very great, well-written blog that you get. Um, and so I definitely mm. think that's really – I've learned a lot over that um, over the years. And, um, yeah, that would probably – be the main ones. The only other thing I was meant to say, I went around the the strategies, is the upgraders right now. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Is that you know if you are in a camp where you do need a bigger home long term, um, it's really hard to do that in up markets, right? And so the up because the properties that you want to buy into, they're the ones that are probably growing faster, and that gap's bigger. Um, but in these down markets, they're the ones that have come off a bit harder because they're a bit more expensive. Um, and so if you're in a fortunate position where you've, you've got a, had a property, you've built a bit of equity in it, but now your incomes have gone up um, and you're higher than when you first purchased that property, maybe young family is here now or is coming. Um, now's probably a time to say, well, yeah, actually now's probably a good time to think, should we do that upgrade now rather than doing it when we absolutely need to do it in three or four years time and then being at the mercy of the market? Because that transaction is never easy. The stress of buying and selling and how do you do it and how can you borrow and having to find it. And then, you know, so it's a really stressful thing. So no matter when you do it, it's going to be painful. But I would argue that if you, if you have a crack at it now, it might not be a bad time. Okay. That's great. It's good to know. Um, Chris, obviously people can find you uh, at wealthful.com.au. Links will be in the show notes. Be sure to go back to the Property Investor Series. Uh, if people want to listen to the podcast, mate, where do they go? Uh, elephantintheroom.com.au yep you'll find all the episodes there great guests um, yeah some of the background that I, I do on you mate is from that podcast so I, yep. I go on and listen and get my questions and my talking points um, but yeah so if you want to hear more from Chris um, and the team be sure to go to wealthful.com.au um, otherwise mate enjoy your trip overseas your holiday your breakaway yep. from work and um, we'll see you next time on the Australian Investors Podcast thanks Owen thanks all cheers For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core in a satellite, 
active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says Invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.